Welcome to In the Trenches, a weekly podcast series dedicated to entrepreneurial leadership, the principles and values that define and develop it, as well as actionable steps that you can take to immediately lead your team to victory. Good afternoon, guys. This is Eric LeClaire with Push Press, and we are continuing our series In the Trenches, a discussion all things leadership. Uh, and around the development of leadership and staff members at facilities. Uh, today, I'm super excited to be joined uh, by my friend Joe. And I think for those readers or those individuals that might be watching and may not know much about Joe, his history or his background um, and his contributions so far to our community, Joe, if you would, feel free, introduce yourself to those that are watching today. Yeah, sure. I'm Joe Sabalski. I own Eighth Day Gym here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, we're 10 years in business, so that was quite an accomplishment. Actually, 10 years the month we shut down. So, a fantastic <laughs> way to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. I love it. I still love it. Now, give us a little background on maybe how you got into it 10 years ago. Yeah, so I was actually a U.S. decathlete. So I did the decathlon at the Olympic level for the U.S. for about 10 years after college, which is Five events per day, 10, 10 events total. It's running, jumping, and throwing um, of track and field. So in, in a lot of ways, the cousin to CrossFit, this, the sport of being good athletically at everything, um, whereas CrossFit takes it to the fitness level. So I retired in 2008 after the 2008 Olympic trials. So two-time Olympic qualifier, top 20 world ranking over the 10 years. Uh, retired in 2008, moved back from California to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where my family is from. And found myself in a recession uh, after retiring. And I could either teach at the high school level, go back to med school. I was a biology major, pre-medication, uh, pre-med plus education major in college. And I, neither of those things seemed good. I had one child at the time. Uh, going back to med school didn't seem good. So I, I did odd jobs, construction work, all, all kinds of different things for about a year and a half after I retired. And finally, what I would actually describe as a low moment. Uh, began personal training at a little small family-owned gym uh, in my home area, hometown of Grand Rapids, and started personal training people. And after about three to six months of doing that and 12 clients, I was going to shoot myself in the head because I wasn't wired for it. And uh, I, I had kind of a pithy. I'd followed CrossFit since 2006. So about two years before I retired, I started following CrossFit and being interested in it. I thought the the game's competitive side of it was fascinating. So I wrote a letter to all 12 of my clients and said, hey, starting Monday, we're going to do, I'm going to teach you how to move your body. I'm going to teach you how to move it athletically. And we're going to create fitness from those good movements. And two people showed up on Monday. So <laughs> I like, started Eighth Day Gym with two people, Ben and Shelly, and we were off and running in 2010. So um, yeah, it, and from there, boy, what a battle. What a, what, a, what a time. Took about three to four years to really get it off the ground. I was called crazy by people. The neighbors thought I was nuts and needed to get a real job. And so I've been through the trenches going back that far. So in some ways, this feels like, uh, like familiar territory. I, I would agree. I mean, I, it's, it was kind of uncharted territory for affiliates that sprung up around that time, whether we're talking uh, before the affiliate landscape was even real. It was kind of just friends of CrossFit. And then it was this affiliate thing and really what and you kind of had the opportunity to get in and do what you wanted from the beginning, really. I mean, how book it, bill it, design it, you know, brand it, you know, share the vision. Um, what then, if at all, were you able to take from your lessons learned, whether it be individual or 
from a, a team aspect and apply it to the business? Did you pull any of those principles or values from uh, your days as a decathlete into your business? Oh yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think from pulling the decathlon into the business was pretty simple because I freaking love movement. I love, if my body's in motion, I'm happy. And if I was exploring progress, like decathlon is almost like extreme golf. You are never going to have the perfect decathlon. You're never going to master all 10 events of the decathlon. You, you will end your career feeling that there's still something left to have been achieved. Right. Uh, that learning process of, of making progress every day is exactly what I brought into the gym setting. Look, we're, we're going to make progress every day. If you're going to try to get your first ever handstand on a wall, maybe the guy next to you is trying to get 50 handstands on a row. doesn't matter. You're both pursuing the same thing. And so we kind of called it an Olympic training center for regular people. And we're off and running. I had been in business for two years and I had a member come up to me and said, Hey, I heard about this thing called CrossFit. You should, you should look into it. It looks kind of interesting. Have you ever heard of it? And I was just laughing, you know, like I've been in business two years. You're just now hearing about this CrossFit thing. So we ran a business uh, outside of kind of the CrossFit name for quite some time before it even really caught uh, in my Midwestern town of Grand Rapids. So were there struggles early on that you thought, hey, this is not going the right direction as the affiliate? Did you ever, did you ever sit back and think this was a poor decision? God, uh, a year in business and I had 36 members. Uh, we had to move out of the little facility we were in after a year. And so I started looking around and I wanted to be downtown in a downtown setting. Um, I kind of diverged from the norm way back then when people were trying to get cheap rent in a warehouse, you know, and they were calling CrossFit a destination location. I completely went against that. And I wanted to be downtown in the heart of things. And I'll be damned if I didn't drive up and find a, a for rent sign on a building wow. that was on the edge of the ghetto, totally in downtown, but just like a giant concrete building. And I rented one room out of that building. Um, and I look back on it and think that was nuts that I thought with 36 members, that I could pull off what we pulled off. But um, yeah, there was, yeah, I, I, like I said, I came home from work one day and a neighbor greeted me after I left my car with a glass of wine in her hands and said, uh, you need to get a real job and you need to stop this ridiculous dream and you need to let go of the decathlon and do something real. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and to her credit, a year and a half later, she said, how the hell did you know this was going to, you know, that the world was going to love CrossFit. So yeah, right place, right time. And you had the, you know, the right, the foresight to say, hey, this is, this is where I want to go. Oh man, entrepreneurship and, and business. I, I get so sick and tired of entrepreneurs that, that they have a successful business. And then in hindsight, they basically claim to have known it all and seen it all. And they knew exactly what they're doing. That's such bullshit. I, you know, half of it's luck. Like I was lucky. I retired at a time when CrossFit was in the upswing. Luck. I found a building that was for rent at the exact moment that I needed it downtown. And it's one of the finest facilities in all of America. I'll bet against, I'll, I'll bet anybody that can't find a facility better than ours. We got lucky. Did I execute on the luck? Absolutely. But there's no way I can claim to have been responsible for this building coming up for lease or for CrossFit having a good uh, a good upswing while I was starting my business. So I think luck is all luck and, and fortune are part of it, but executing on those opportunities is the key. Agreed. I mean, we can, we can, I can agree. And we've seen so many folks that either had opportunities presented to them or in their grasp and they just failed to execute. And it's just like sand filtered through. Oh, yeah. So then how was that for you 
in changing the role of going from athlete now to owner coach? I mean, were there coaches you looked up to um, high school years, college years, you know, Olympic trials years, like obviously you were under maybe the tutelage of many different quality and competent coaches, but now it was your turn to be a coach. It was your turn to be the leader and put your pursuit aside. How did that change? Absolutely. I was, I call myself a fortunate fool. I was able to stumble. I, I didn't even do track and field till I was a junior in college. So I was very late to the game. Um, I played every sport other than track and field in high school. So baseball, basketball, soccer, golf, cross country, and then went to high school on a baseball scholarship, jumped the fence and joined the track team. Uh, long story there, but got sick of sitting on the bench and joined the track team. Um, and just was lucky as heck to have good coach after good coach. I ended up training with some of the best track and field athletes in U.S. history and sat at the feet of some of the greats, had opportunities to work with some of the greatest coaches in U.S. history and, and just learned a lot about what that looks like. So without a doubt, I'm a reflection of all of the great leaders that have been a part of my life. And I've been fortunate to have some great ones. And one of the things I discovered very quickly is they did not lead by pulling anyone. They did not lead by pushing anyone. The great coaches and great leaders made you feel like you were discovering these things on your own. Like they would, you know, maybe set you up and help guide you, but it wasn't an egoistic look at what I'm going to show you or lead you to. It was presenting information, data, and learning opportunities in a way that I could, I could take ownership of the, that progress that I was making as an athlete. Um, and I tried to embody that. That seems to be an impeccable way to allow others to shine. So were you able to, to in the moment, notice that? Or have you looked back on that now and said, ah, that's what they were doing? And then have you taken that and applied it now in your business? It's a good question. I would say that I was always a better learner and a better dork than I was an athlete. I, uh, God got distracted when he made me. I was supposed to be an MIT studying quarks or Higgs boson particles. And, and somehow he got distracted and threw me into the wrong body because I've always been a dork and a learner and somebody who perceived knowledge as being important. So even as an athlete, I was always in awe of the great teachers and the great coaches and I was taking notes and I, I coached seven years division one track and field. So I did that myself. Um, I turned down a head track and field coaching position to move to California to finish out my career at a amazing training facility with 25 Olympic level athletes and the best coach in the United States. So, um, yeah, I had opportunities to put some of those things into, into motion and action, but also to be learning while I was competing. So yeah, I've put, I, I think that I've tried to apply that as a business owner and as a leader of other uh, co coaches, but it's been trial and error. I mean, there have been times where I sucked at being a gym owner and had to really kind of right. call myself on it. Yeah, I, I, can, I can guarantee you, if you've met an owner or you met a coach or you met a program director that can't say that they're either lying or they don't understand self-reflection we've all stumbled and fallen down um and so to to bring it forward to today what does your staff look like and are you responsible for their development both academically and or professionally in the in the gym setting yeah i always wanted to have a staff that was full-time i i started my business as a business i never ran it as a hobby I know people hate that term. I never ran it as something to do alongside another occupation. I wanted this to be my sole occupation. Um, so I knew that I wanted to progress from part-time coaches to full-time coaches. And that journey was the hardest for sure. Transitioning from part-time to full-time 
because you've treated your part-time coaches a certain way. And as you begin to take on full-time coaches, those part-time coaches begin feeling neglected. Right. Your, your full-time coaches, you're trying to take care of because, gosh, you're walking a razor edge line of being able to afford to pay them what they need, pay yourself something, keep the gym up and running. But 10 years in, we've hit a good rhythm. Our, my part-time coaches are fantastic. They love to have it be something they do in addition to their work. And they are aware of the opportunity they have to give. And so they've, they've really hit a stride of, of being givers. And then my, they, they recognize my full-time coaches as being what I'm pouring myself into. And they're great with that. My full-time coaches, I've got three, I've had four, but right now I have three full-time coaches that that's, this is all they do for work. Um, I've had over the years, six, five to seven total over the years, full-time coaches that have kind of have either moved on uh, to some other occupation because you got to you got to admit, it's hard to have a full-time coach in CrossFit who's going to do it till they're 60 years old, right? Like, yeah. right. There's, there's there's no, no. Yeah. No. yeah. Their, their age, their age is going to be, you know, 20 to 30 ish years old. Uh, your full-time coaches, they're not, they're not doing this till they're 60. Heck, I don't know if I'm going to do this till I'm 60, but right. I mean, yeah, you um, figure the evolution, they've got to go somewhere, whether it be like in uh, part-time intern, full-time general manager, something's like, what, what is that growth curve for them? Yeah. I don't believe that 30 to, you know, $35,000 is enough to live on until you're 60 years old. Uh, so we've worked hard to increase their salaries and make sure that it's something that is livable and makes sense to keep doing. Uh, but my point is, is we've had, you know, some that have moved on to the jobs, some that I have removed from their position, which were some of the harder times of actually letting someone go uh, to get to a point where we've reached our stride. We've got a great staff. There's a great energy circle, right? Whenever you've got a leadership position and whenever you've got those under a coach, an athlete, whatever that is, you've got an energy circle that that leader or coach is going to give energy to the athlete or, you know, coach under them. And that that athlete needs to give energy back to the coach and vice versa. If you get a good energy cycle going, then it's a perpetual motion machine. Otherwise, it can be tough. We have that perpetual motion machine going right now. So we've done well. So, I mean, that, that's a perfect segue into, and I know this is kind of the obscure portion of our dialogue. You've taken so much time to pour into uh, the development of the staff, to care for the coaching staff, as well as care for the clientele in your community. So the culture is rich. And then we're hit with the coronavirus. So like, and I know we only have like maybe eight or so minutes left, but by all means, how did you recognize it was a real threat? How did you pivot and what, like, how did you get that message out to the clientele so fast? Sure. Uh, I'm an information guy. I love reading. I divulge tons of information. So I was reading all the time, hundreds and hundreds of pages at the source, you know, every page of the CDC, WHO, doctor reports, like everything. And so I was trying to stay ahead of it myself because I felt the big responsibility for the decisions that were going to come. I feel responsible for these coaches. I feel responsible for their incomes. Um, and so we started, a uh, stages of shutting things down and slowing down before we were even shut down fully. Um, okay. so, so you we, did that prior to like your governance had a date, but you guys were already prior to executing different phases. Yeah. We did not know that we were going to be on lockdown, but we were starting to implement some of the things we were going to do here to create social distancing, to create, uh, an environment that would be safer. Um, we started limiting 
class sizes and uh, limiting how we had access to the gym. And then we were shut down within a week of that happening. So um, we were already pondering it and thinking about it. But I mean, the truth is, is nobody's ever done that. Like World War II was the last time anybody can remember not having championships in sports or not having kids in school. So, you know, this has been a while since anybody's approached this and we've been kind of figuring out as we go. One of the things that I was fortunate to have is a gym that was thriving, healthy, cash flowing, um, with a staff that I could afford to keep paying. And that's why I told him I will pay you guys first, my bills second and myself third, uh, in that order. Um, I communicated that to the members. I let the members know that we were not going to go bankrupt, that we were not going to go out of business, that no matter how hard it was going to be, I'd prepared for this. And I wasn't going to pretend like I was a nonprofit when I've been running like a business for 10 years. We're, we're a business that prepared for it. And we we're fortunate enough to now, if you went and did not save money and didn't prepare for shit hit the fan, then you weren't a smart business owner. There's no way around that. We were, we were lucky enough to have the income and fortunate enough for me to have the foresight to put away four to six months worth of running operations. So I knew we were fine. What I can say is you are absolutely in the minority when it comes to that. And I wish, I mean, I wish we had even more time and this is a massive concept to touch on that there are so many affiliate owners or in the micro gym owner space that they might have half a month in, in operating expenses put away. Like I wish we could just hammer on that, but that and anyway. for, some them, for some of them, that's because they made mistakes or for some of them, that's just where they're at. And that's okay. It can, it can freaking suck right now. And you don't have to have all the answers yet. And you don't have to feel like you need to scramble and panic. Like it's okay for a second to sit there and just simply say, this sucks and there might not be an upside to this yet. Like right. I'm, I'm tired of the pretending that everything's going to be okay all the time. Sometimes it's not. And that's not, that's a possibility. It's the possibility your gym won't make it through this, but you know what? That's not the end of the world either. You're not going to die. You're not going to go hungry. I'm sure people have a house you can crash at. Like, our worst case scenarios in America are not that freaking bad. So yeah. like get yourself to see what the rock bottom is and it ain't, it's not the end of the world. And then, then come back and fight like hell to save what you got. But don't just pretend like it's going to be okay, no matter what, because it might not be. Right. I mean, that's, so we're at a spot now where all, all, I would say all, if not all, most gyms are in this uh, pivot to digital pivot to one-on-one or pivot to uh, distance learning. Um, and the rest of it is ambiguous. The rest of it is who knows or when. So have you sat down, uh, with your coaches and have you done any planning out the next 15 days, 30 days since you've had phases working into this? Are you guys looking at phases to unroll or offload when this thing turns around? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then like, what is leadership? Leader, I mean, at its, at its core, leadership is identifying a problem, addressing it, coming up with a solution, communicating that solution to the people who it matters to, and then executing on the plan. Right. And how well you do that determines how well people will follow your leadership. If you suck at identifying problems and solving them, you're not going to be a good leader, no matter how you do it. If you can solve problems really well and you suck at communicating with people, going to be harder to be a good leader. So. Right. The final ingredient to all that is empathy, compassion, and the capacity to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Because a lot of the decisions that I would make about this mess of COVID for me, if I, if I can only think about me, I'm not going to lend out a single piece of equipment. 
Okay. If I'm, I'm only thinking about me, I'm not going to pay my coaches. I'm going to pay me. But if I can put myself in their position as members, or if I can put myself in my coach's shoes, then that informs my decision-making process and also how I communicate. And so I have worked my tail off to try to see the world from my members' eyes and to see it from my coach's eyes. And that's why I lent out 28,000 pounds of equipment. We're at $130,000 worth of equipment that's out in Grand Rapids being used by members. Because I don't care about the equipment. I care about my members. Right on. They, they have received that with power and with energy and invigoration. Um, how long will that last? I don't know. I don't know how long that pattern will be enough. We have blown up our Facebook. We have more engagement online than we've ever had in our history. We are pivoting. We've become a media production company, right? Like as soon as I get done here, we've got an hour and a half of shooting to do. And tomorrow we've got another four hours of shooting that we're going to do to prepare for the next week. So we produce content for our members. They love it. We're finding humor. Um, I, this ridiculous stash that I've got going uh, <laughs> is part of our Infinity Underground series that we do where I, I escape the lockdown uh, and am holed up in the building. And it's all this uh, documentary footage of me surviving the building alone. Oh, I love it. So You're creating. I mean, this is a great opportunity to explore and to create that. It's an engaging, authentic representation. I love it. Creativity to me is the core of my business. That is everything that I do is based in creativity. And I have created an ethos in the gym that is based on being creative. Artwork throughout the building, touches here and there that show the creativity. Our programming is based in being creative. The programming we've put out since the COVID crisis has our members being creative, You know, doing obstacle courses, creating their own workouts. Like Creativity is the core of who our business model is. And I that allowed us to be a little more, uh, to be strong through the COVID crisis because we already have that baseline ethos built in our company. I love it. Talk about a strong differentiator in the market. I mean, you are light years beyond classic general group exercise where it's the same thing all the time. Like I, I dig it, man. In our final two minutes, if you could deliver a message strong or succinct to struggling gym owners... Is there anything you wouldn't love to tell them? Yeah, I guess I would start from an interpersonal thought of even just thinking about coming in this program. I was very hesitant to do it because I don't freaking know the answers. And I hate people who pretend like they know what, what to do all the time because we don't in the situation. So I guess if you're an owner and you really feel like you don't quite know what to do yet, me too. Like, Totally. Um, 10 year business, super successful, cash flowing and safe. I still don't know what the hell to do tomorrow sometimes. And that's okay. Um, I would also say, I remember some of the chatter on the owners forum in the previous months. Uh, a lot of it was saying things like, stop talking about your community. It's not what differentiates you. You're no different than Orange Theory, no different than Barry's Bootcamp. That's fine. I don't mind those kind of thought processes, but I have seen in the COVID crisis, that that is not true. Our community is different. And what we do in a CrossFit box is a little bit tighter. I, my friend owns two Orange Theories and they, have, they don't have any payment coming in. And I told him that I'm at 95% of my income for the next month. I, I'll drop down next month for sure, but I'm at 90, 95% of my income. He flipped his shit. He okay. could not believe that that was even possible. He's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, no, no, that's voluntary. Right. He's like, oh my God. So 
be emboldened that we do have something different in our community. We have created something that people see as part of their life triangle in a different way than just something they're going to check out of. So it's going to hurt. This is going to be hard. I, when we, when we shut down the business and, and gave out all of our equipment, I walked through my building and realized I had exactly the amount of equipment left in my building that I purchased when I started my business. Wild. And that encouraged me because I was like, F it. Like we'll be fine because I've done this before. Right on. All right. Oh, and people are going to come back. They're going to be hurting. So you know what I've also done? I've shifted from worrying about me to worrying about all the members. So when I get down on myself, oh, I'm losing money. No, actually, how do we take this community and help people that are going to be hurting themselves? And so we've got a fund that we've raised, inter-gym for people that are in trouble. I've got at least 12 to 15 people who are going to fund people's memberships for the months following the COVID crisis when we're back up and running that need a membership but can't afford it. So looking internally, how do we take care of our medical staff that, that works uh, in the hospitals in the area? So for me, shifting outside of myself into our community has been an important part of staying alive for us. But that's a little easier to say when we're successful and okay. I mean, that's fantastic. That's, that gives a creative opportunity for other gym owners to think not just about themselves and their business, but how to reach out and care for those that are going to be struggling in the coming 30, 60, 90 days. Correct. Joe, I love it. Thank you. I sincerely appreciate not only your wisdom and creativity, but also the time. I know you are hard pressed uh, to nail down and steal 30 minutes of your time, but man, thank you. I, I'm very impressed uh, and I will continue to watch and see what you guys are up to. Awesome, Eric. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it.